Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Ben Fredrickson here alongside Dave Matter for this week's Eye on the Tigers podcast where we talk all things Mizzou sports. We're going to have kind of a... Uh, selection of things we got to get into today, Dave, but a lot to talk about. It is not a slow time for Mizzou right now. Um, we've got to talk about Kobe Brown's NBA future. Mizzou is making a change on its baseball coaching front. Eli Drinkwitz has made news at SEC spring meetings. Um, Eli, controversial guy right now, apparently. Um, also, what's going to happen with that SEC schedule? Mizzou ties to the NBA finals. There's a whole lot of stuff to get into. Where should we start today, man? Um, I'm waiting for that. You said it's never, it's not a slow time for Mizzou sports. When, when exactly is that slow time coming? I'd like to know. I'd like to put it on my calendar. Well, let's um, see. Coaching search, um, NBA draft, um, the head coach going viral, what, what should be a slow time for football. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a lot, man. And, uh, and also a pretty big connection to the NBA finals. I don't know how Mizzou feels about that. We'll get into that. The MPJ yeah. legacy, if you will, or lack thereof. But, uh, I guess we should start with Eli. Um, let's start there. We knew, we, we kind of suspected that Kobe Brown was going to be going into the NBA draft. So it would be probably bigger news if he wasn't. And if he was returning to Mizzou or who knows, maybe he would have gone somewhere else. It's a non-story now. He's going into the NBA. It makes sense. Yep. We'll talk about that. But Eli is probably the biggest news right now. What did you make of his comments at SEC spring meetings? I was more, I guess, um, kind of, I don't know if alarmed is the right word, disappointed in some of the way it was covered and handled more than anything. Um, but his comments about his reservations about NIL, um, which we obviously know more context behind because we've covered Eli's thoughts on this pretty extensively before. Um, and also just the way one quote from his was treated and handled and the subsequent fallout of that, which has continued. Um, Eli is uh, Eli's not backing down off of what he said and has shared the context around it. But for folks who have somehow missed this, what did you make of how things played out down there in Florida? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think he has reservations about NIL. I think he has concerns. Um, but I don't think, I mean, he has been the biggest cheerleader for NIL because he knows it's not going anywhere. It's reality. It's what's drawing athletes to schools. It's what's drawing athletes away from schools to other schools. So he knows that if he wants to win and be a successful head coach and run a successful program, he has to be all in on it. And he has been, I mean, he's been, he's been Mizzou. He's been arguably the state's biggest cheerleader front runner for NIL and for all this legislation that's gone on in the state. That's actually made Missouri kind of, uh, um, you know, drawn some criticism around the SEC, even from the commissioner without really saying Missouri's name. They're not happy about the state law because it's so loose. It's barely a law. It's just like no holds barred at this point. So um, I don't I, I disagree with any notion or thought out there from anyone um, drive by media that thinks that this guy doesn't like NIL. He, you can you can be supportive of it. but also be concerned about 
um, you know, some of the effects and after effects of NIL. What what got him in the crosshairs of the instant Twitter reaction was one comment within a long answer. And it was a long answer about gambling, like the concerns about gambling, which I think it should be and is a, a big concern right now for college programs. We've seen what's happened at Iowa and Iowa State. More than 40 athletes and staffers are under investigation for illegal gambling. The, the head baseball coach at Alabama, a couple baseball coaches at University of Cincinnati are, were fired uh, for a gambling sting ring, whatever you want to call it. So this is an issue right now. And when you've got athletes now making a lot of money, um, you know, they've got the spending money, they can be prey to uh, people who, bad actors, I think is what Eli's word was, um, to people who maybe want to throw games and just the, the worst fears that people have about uh, gambling and college sports. We've seen it over time, not really recently on a big scale. Uh, so that was his answer. But within it, he said that, you know, we're, we're giving all this money to college athletes uh, who are 18, 19, 20 years old. They're making more than my brother-in-law, who's a pediatrician and saves lives. For him, it was just kind of a throwaway line, I think. Uh, I don't think he was making a big point that they shouldn't be making that money. Uh, but that's when ears perked up. Uh, our friend Ross Dellinger, who does a fabulous job, he's one of the best, if not the best, national college football writers out there right now. He tweeted just that line without the context of what it all was, because that's what Twitter is. Um, and that just picked up uh, a mega storm on Twitter. And it turned into Eli Drinkwitz hates NIL, hates college athletes making money, which couldn't be further from the truth. So it's unfortunate that it turned out that way. Um, you know, these things usually blow over in about 24 hours or less. And I'm sure this one will, but I think it said more about just the media and not so much Ross, but the media reaction to it. A whole lot of people commenting on it who weren't in that room in Destin and didn't didn't hear, didn't read the the entirety of of Eli's comments. Yeah. And Eli, to his credit, says, no, actually, here was my full answer. Puts that out there for everybody to read. I think anybody who read it and saw the question goes, oh, OK, that's that's actually more of a legitimate response. I, I There seems to be this. Um, this thing going on on Twitter when it comes to NIL and social media, where you're either for it or against it. Right. And that's not really the reality. You can be for it. I've advocated for it and also have some concerns about how it could affect things. That doesn't sure. mean that you don't want athletes to get paid. I think that's where Eli's at. And you're right. One of his most recent, you know, big moments of success, he feels like was helping that bill pass. He went to Jeff city to celebrate it that made Missouri one of the most aggressive states in its ability to get in-state kids NIL money earlier than in a lot of other places. So you can't tell me he hates NIL when he's aggressively pushed for it. He has been the biggest salesman of NIL to fans, supporters, boosters of anybody at Mizzou from the jump. And we know that because we've literally heard him at events go up there and, and preach the benefits of NIL like a pastor. Um, he, he's on board. He knows. Now, can you also be on board and, and understand that it could make things more difficult and maybe there should be some, some sort of guidelines? Yeah, you can, no matter what anybody says. He's lost players because of NIL. He's gotten players because of NIL. He knows what's going on better than anybody. I thought it was unfair to Eli, this, this forcing of him forward as this guy who hates NIL, because it's not true. And the track record is there. He's not 
Dabo when it comes to saying he's going to quit coaching if these kids get paid. All you have to do is simply understand a little bit of his history to see that it's fair. People got mad, especially because he makes a lot of money and they don't, you know, we have plenty of reservations about the contract extension Eli got and sure didn't seem necessary, but good on him for getting the money while it was there. Eli would be the first to tell you, and if anybody asked him, I'm sure he would have said this. He also agrees that the climate that he works in is crazy too. Coaching salaries, you know, the amount of money that athletic departments have and use and spend, NIL money. He has commented many times on just the the craziness of the world that he exists in. Right. That doesn't mean that he's going to give back his salary. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to make money. It is okay to be in an ecosystem and also say, this is a little nuts. Right. He would also say that about pretty much everything in his world. Eli is not the kind of guy who is only going to talk about one thing. He's been a pretty candid observer of the world that he's in. So I thought it was a little just mislabeling of him to be like, well, he doesn't think his own salary is crazy. Actually, I think he would probably tell you that the fact that 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 college coaches are making, you know, infinitely more than doctors and people who are saving lives. He probably does think that's a little crazy. Um, We all probably think that's a little crazy. And him saying that NIL is a little crazy does not mean that he thinks that everything else is completely normal. I thought that was just a little bit of a gross misrepresentation of what was going on. But man, a tough look for what we do in our field, because anytime these coaches say that's going to get taken out of context, or I don't want to talk on that, they have reasons to. And I mean, I think we should think, and this is not like me on a soapbox, but we might want to think a little bit about how we present some quotes that are snipped on both ends and then let a guy get hammered for them and then not factor that into why guys don't want to talk. And and I'll, I'll go to bat for Eli on that because whether you think Eli should be fired, maybe this year he does get fired, but you think he's been not good enough or he's going to break through this year, all that, put that on the back burner for now. One thing I appreciate about Eli is he always pretty much tells you what he thinks. He's pretty candid. He's pretty willing to, to have opinions. He's not one of these guys who trots out milk toast comments all the time. And we roll our eyes and say, my God, you know, does the guy ever say anything interesting? He pretty much tells you what he thinks. Yep. And if you want a guy to not do that, let stuff like this happen to him. And this has right. nothing to do with his ability to do his job or go win games. We've talked about the issues that will have to be fixed this fall or else there probably will be a change at Mizzou. But I hate to see a guy get crushed for a misrepresentation of what he said when at the same time, the same people in our industry get mad when guys are boring and don't say anything. It's, right. it's, you know, say something interesting so then we can take it out of context and let you get killed and then run away from it and act like we didn't just do what we did. No, that's exactly what happened here. He's not against NIL. I think he's right for fighting back against it. And I think it's the responsibility of people who know better to say, actually, that's not right. And, and that doesn't mesh with his philosophy on this. So I, I just thought it was disappointing. I think Eli rolls his eyes and moves on. He knows how this stuff goes. And he likes to have fun with it a lot of times. So when you when you play kind of with the zingers and the and the quips, then you're gonna get you're gonna get some of that sometimes, especially if you're not one of the sacred cows of the SEC. This would have not happened to some of the coaches probably right. down there if they would have said something similar. But uh, I thought it was a little disappointing. I thought it was a bad look for for our field more than it was a bad look for Eli. Yeah, for sure. And like, if he doesn't make the comment about his brother-in-law, the pediatrician, 
my guess is there would have been zero reaction to his comment or the reaction would have been, oh, this is a fairly thoughtful, you know, comment on gambling. We're not hearing a whole lot of coaches take a side on this or even speak out. Uh, instead, it turned into this strange perceived diatribe on NIL, which it wasn't. All. I mean, let's not forget part of the reason he gave up play calling duties and hired offensive coordinators because he said he has to spend more time on NIL. And this new state law makes him like the chief negotiator for NIL. So he's not doing all that stuff if he's, you know, opposed to to doing it all. And frankly, he's probably not coaching in college if he's not, you know, committed and, and consumed with everything that is NIL right now. So this will be a good segue for us. The last time I saw Eli in person, he was at an event in St. Louis, standing up in front of a room full of Mizzou supporters, telling them that they wanted to encourage Kobe Brown to come back to Mizzou then they needed to get on the NIL train. That did not sound to me like a guy who was uh, oh. who was anti-NIL. He was encouraging folks to spend money on NIL for a player that wasn't on his team, which I think tells you a lot more about how Eli thinks about NIL than what his comments were um, in, a, in a snipped quote down there at spring meetings. Um, also at spring meetings, probably the bigger news, this thing will blow over. Um, the bigger news is going to be the lack of resolution, at least as of right now. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday morning, full disclosure, about the SEC conference schedule, Dave. We kind of right. all thought nine games was all but locked in and ready to go. Nine-game conference schedule, three permanent opponents. We both, you and I both think that's where this winds up eventually, but could it take a year of the new look SEC with Texas and Oklahoma to actually get there? There's kind of a standoff going on maybe with ESPN about will they pay more for that? I was hoping this would be wrapped up by now. I think it should be nine games. I think Missouri, I, I actually applaud Missouri for being a proponent of nine games. Everyone's so shocked, Dave, that Missouri wants the nine-game conference schedule. And there's all this talk about, oh, my God, I can't believe a, a school at the bottom of the ecosystem would want nine games. Well, they see the vision. They see the three permanent rivals as something they like. They like the idea of traveling around, letting their fans go to all these games and all these different SEC locations. It makes the SEC stronger. What's the holdup here? I mean, Nick Saban doesn't like it. He's worried about his chance of walking into the college football playoff, and now everything else has to be put on pause. It's you think it's more about the ESPN negotiations? What do you make of this, this standoff? Yeah, I, I think the ESPN negotiations is part of it. I think some schools are saying, hey, if, if, if we're going to play an extra SEC game, um, we want more money uh, in, in the TV deal, which I, I, I can see some logic behind that. Also, though, ESPN has a lot on its plate in, in terms of negotiations than just SEC football. There's a lot of other things that are uh, contracts that are coming to an end. I believe their NBA contract, their their UFC stuff, a lot of things that that, that they're dealing with right now. So that's part of it. Um, you know, there were the reports that Saban, and even though he kind of hemmed and hawed and didn't really take a stand on it uh, down in Destin, but there were reports that he didn't like the three teams, the three permanents that Alabama would play uh, in the uh, in the nine game format, which I don't think anybody's really going to feel sorry for Alabama and its strength of schedule. Uh, but they would play Auburn. LSU and Tennessee. I think his his gripe was that um, it was that LSU and Tennessee are really good programs. You know, probably top ten teams preseason. Uh, that's too tough of a of a threesome for for Alabama. Um, you know, again, I don't know if anybody's really going to feel sorry for for Saban. I mean, he's the guy that's been the advocate for nine games all along. There was a time where he wanted ten SEC games. He still wants only power five opponents for SEC opponents. So he's not opposed to overall strength of schedule, overall nine. He just doesn't like their three, it sounds like. 
Um, you know, and there's there's also this mandate if you're an SEC team, one of your non-conference games has to be against another Power Five school. Well, if you're going to nine, now you've only got three non-conference games. Um, there are some schools in the SEC that always play a rival from another Power Five conference. Um, what does this mean for them? If you're South Carolina, are they thinking, okay, well, if we're going to play nine SEC games, we really don't want to play Clemson anymore, but we have to play Clemson. So yeah, our schedule is going to be tougher than Missouri, who will play, you know, Kansas or Illinois, and then, you know, SEMO and who else? Uh, you know, nobody else is really going to move the needle. So I'm sure there's some of that too. I just, you know, it's going to be a bad look. And I think this was Eli's line the other day. If the SEC is the only power conference that isn't playing nine conference games, I mean, come on. If you can do it in the Big 12 and the Big 10, Pac 10 and Pac 12 and the ACC, you can't say you're the biggest, baddest conference and then say, well, but we're afraid to play, or not afraid necessarily, but we're just not willing to play more conference games. I mean, this is what the fans want. I do think Missouri is coming from an earnest place here and other schools too, saying that look at our attendance figures, look at ticket sales, more fans show up when it's a game against an SEC opponent than a non-conference opponent that again, doesn't really move the needle a whole lot. So uh, yeah, I think that's where things stand. You know, I, it doesn't sound like they're going to come to uh, you know, a resolution this week. If they do, it'll take some kind of hail Mary. The presidents and chancellors were expected to meet, I think as we're, recording this on Thursday and they're the ones that eventually are going to make the final decision. It just may not be this week. There's been talks and our friend Ross had the report that they could go to just like 2024 would be, uh, they would just get through with an eight game schedule and then table it until they can come up with something for 2025. But I, I do not like their proposed eight game format because then you play your one fixed uh, rival, which Missouri would probably be Arkansas and then seven others, and then the following year, it'd be a completely different seven. So forget Missouri for a second, but that means if you're Alabama and you're one fixed opponent is Auburn, then you play LSU and Tennessee. Those are big rivals, Tennessee especially, but you won't play them every year. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, you got to keep these secondary rivals. Uh, Missouri really doesn't have those yet in the SEC, but the other schools do, and that I, I don't like that format at all. Yeah, covered Tennessee the idea of Alabama and Tennessee not playing football in a college football season does not make a lot of sense to me that that is the exact opposite of the way this should be moving which is giving people the games they want to see here's an idea make a bigger emphasis on strength of schedule for the college football playoff it's expanding you know really really factor that in more also it's rich the idea of South Carolina thinking well is playing Clemson every year going to keep them from getting in the college football playoff? Well, why don't you get in once before you worry? Right. <laughs> you start to worry about that. That's the difference. I mean, Missouri is thinking like, look, if they're good enough to get into the college football playoff, the schedule is not going to be the, the the thing that keeps them out. It's funny, these ideas that, that, that these teams that are not going to have any shot of making even an expanded college football playoff are going to be holding up this process. Give Nick Saban the three permanent rivals he wants. That gets Alabama on board and get this thing done. Um, you know, I'm a little, I won't say disappointed, but it's a little concerning to me that Greg Sankey, who's done a great job leading the SEC, really keeps them out in front on this. Sounds like he wants the nine game schedule. He had the yeah. comment down there of like, you know, conferences that lead the pack don't stand still. And, and we're one that leads the pack. I'm paraphrasing, but 
he needs to get this done. And he needs to make the comments and make the calls and have the meetings that gets everybody on the same page here. It's a little concerning, not concerning. It's odd to me that the, the, the leader, and he's a powerful, trusted leader of the strongest conference in college football, thinks this is the best path forward and can't get it done. You know, yeah. why can't he override? I mean, he should get Nick Saban on board with this. He should get these presidents on board. And if Nick Saban doesn't like it, who cares? He should be able to get this done. It's what he wants. He's now frustrated that it hasn't been done. And he's voicing that frustration. He should be voicing his, his opinion strongly to the people who should be trusting him to lead this. It's a little concerning right. that there's this dysfunction here. Usually the SEC kind of operates it's got its plan set and it gets things up. I mean, think about when when Oklahoma and Texas rejoined or moved to the SEC. We were at the media, we were at the SEC media days. Dude, that was as buttoned up as 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 airtight of a of a thing until it broke as anything. And it was far down the line. That's the way Greg Sankey usually gets this stuff done. And it's a little concerning that they haven't gotten this tied off. And we knew, you knew the day that it happened that this was going to ha- need to change and that this was the best path forward and they still can't get everybody on the same page. That's That's got to be something that's sticking in his craw as these meetings wind down that they haven't been able to finalize this yet. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the game has changed. I mean, look at five years ago, we, we weren't talking about NIL like we are now. We weren't talking about the transfer portal and the immediate eligibility. We weren't talking, we were talking about these things, but they weren't reality yet. A 12-team playoff, I mean, look what's look what's going on in this sport. I mean, BYU is about to join a conference that includes Central Florida. I mean, everything has changed, so it's time to evolve and step up. And if you're the SEC, you know why are you why are you behind everybody else um, as, as far as these schedules go? It's it's everybody great. else. All the other power ones are playing nine game conference schedules. If if we if we don't know the future of college football, the best thing you can do is do everything you can to strengthen your own conference. What strengthens your own conference? Trusting your own conference to produce entertainment, produce games, make it possible that if somebody else falls off or craters, whatever, that you're strong, that you are the place where all the action is. The more games you play against your own conference, the better your conference gets, the more money you create to split and share evenly. You, you want to be as close as you can to being existing in your own solar system as possible. Right. It's not hard. It's, it's- in these days, especially with expansion, when you're talking about a 16-team conference, that's not really a conference if you're only playing eight games. It's like a coalition. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not a conference. And the Big 12 is talking about, you know, adding Colorado, maybe adding other schools from the West Coast. And, like, it, it, those aren't conferences if you're not playing each other, you know. So, yeah, you, you've, got, you've got to do this. They've got to get it done. Yeah, I think the outdated, antiquated way of thinking about this is, like, what's best for the rivalries and, and what's best for the – no, what's best is – if the, if the world blows up, how solid are you? That's how these guys have to think. And in any game you're playing outside of your conference is a weakness in terms of your right. long-term stability and, and the amount of money you can generate. Every time you play that, that, uh, you know, that, that cupcake, you're paying money to bring them to your campus to play them. When you play, you know, when you play an SEC team, you're making money that, that you then get back because the conference splits the revenue equally. It's just business. And it's concerning to me that there are coaches and presidents who are just following whatever the coaches say in Alabama, that's what happens, that are, that are, that are not able to get this through. It is teams, programs, making selfish decisions 
that are going to in turn hurt the conference. And usually that's not something that somebody like Sankey would, would let continue. So it's going to happen. I'm just surprised it hasn't happened yet. And I'm kind of surprised they didn't get it nailed down during, you know, during these meetings. So we'll see if they do the one year kind of transition, but uh, that would be really lame. And hopefully they, they have their permanent plan in place when Oklahoma and Texas actually join this league. So a rare kind of uh, example of Sankey not getting it done, which doesn't happen very often. So we'll see, we'll see how that changes. Dave, let's talk baseball. Um, you had the news over Memorial Day weekend. Mizzou moving on from Steve Beezer. You you chronicled this well and, and had a good story before the, the coaching change about some of the challenges that he faced in his role and some of the really kind of the 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 performance of this team being what was ultimately probably going to decide his fate, his fate, but also some of the challenges this team faced with all of the injuries and it wasn't a slam dunk decision that that if the team didn't make the NCAA tournament that he should be let go. It wasn't a big surprise, but kind of a kind of a in the middle road. You could have seen Desiree Reed Francois coming out and throwing her support behind him for one more year. It didn't happen, and now they're looking to make a change. I think we both agree a lot is going to have to change with the baseball program beyond just the head coach. But what did you make of the news and and, and where kind of Mizzou is in this process of looking for a way to? to make its baseball program more of a, more of a real player in the SEC. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't shocked that they made the change a um, little surprised only because, you know, Robin Pinchon got another year um, and she has not made the NCAA tournament without having Sophie Cunningham on her roster. Uh, and this was a disappointing year for them. So I thought maybe that you know, CBs would get another year, but it turns out maybe this year was his, his, his year is make it or break it year. I mean, he, um, what, what Robin is facing next season. Um, you know, I, I visited with him for over an hour, about two weeks ago, maybe with a week to go in the regular season, we talked about a lot of things. And at that time he did not know if he was coming back. He had not gotten that assurance from Desiree and the administration he felt like they were starting to listen to him more. They were investing more in the program going forward. Um, they have not, baseball is not, you know, taking part in NIL yet. His players aren't making any kind of NIL money recruits. He has, he has nothing to offer them in, in NIL, uh, like we've seen with base, basketball and, and football, certainly. Uh, so that's that goes against them. We know they have obvious uh, facility challenges uh, compared to their peers in the SEC. Uh, that's something he believed could get they, they want to get the ball rolling on that, have some kind of stadium plan going forward. Um, but obviously that that stops now with under his watch, at least. Um, but he really liked the talent they had on this team. Their pitching staff, he thought was was he said top 10 in the country going into the season. They lost five guys to seasoning and the injuries. And that included you can kind of include Sam Horn in there because he, he could have brought him back, but he didn't want to bring him back because he knew you know how much he would mean to the football team potentially. Uh, and that was a, a a really good arm for them too. And you know, it's really hard for this team to compete in the SEC, which is basically minor league baseball. I mean, the, the programs invest so much money, they have so much tradition, they have so such big fan followings, they get the the best recruits in the country. And Missouri's just never operated, you know, like an SEC school when it comes to baseball. And still, you know, they didn't finish last. You know, they got into the 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 SEC tournament, which is shouldn't be the end all be all goal, but when you can do that, when you can finish ahead of Ole Miss and Mississippi State, who just won the last two college world series, those two schools did, 
I, I think in a year where you've lost five of your starting pitchers, not starting pitchers, but five of your pitchers, yeah. I, I think that says something uh, that they were competitive, but not competitive enough for the, the standard that, that Desiree and, and her administration obviously expected. Um, but I, I, it goes without saying that just naming a new head coach is not going to solve the problems of this program. They need more money. They need better facilities. They need NIL contributions. There's no doubt there. Uh, we've already seen a couple players hit the transfer portal, which you expect to happen. Um, but I, I think Steve Beezer is a good man. I think he's a really smart baseball man. He knows the sport. He's widely respected in the community, not necessarily Columbia, but the baseball, college baseball community. He's going to get another job somewhere and do a, and do a fine job. Um, it seemed like, you know, he was kind of, uh, you know, had his hands tied at times financially. And that, that's not all this current administration's fault. You know, he was here for five years before Desiree and her crew showed up. Um, but there, whoever the next coach is going to have, and I'm not talking just about a bigger salary for him, I'm talking about uh, facilities, staffing, um, you know, travel, and that was their travel budget was pretty meager compared to what other schools have in the in the league. They had a 13 hour bus ride home from the SEC tournament. I doubt you. I doubt anybody else in that league was doing that. Uh, so we'll see what, what direction they they head in. I think the good news for the program, she just hired a baseball guy. For administration Blair DeBoard who comes over from Memphis uh, he was the guy that was pretty much responsible for finding and hiring Tony Vitello at Tennessee uh, you know and and Blair knows Missouri because he played at Kansas State and um, you know he's worked at Tennessee and he's worked at Memphis and he worked at UNLV under Desiree so he knows her he knows college baseball he knows Mizzou baseball. So I, I think that was a really good hire on her part just to, I figured he, he was either brought in to help Steve Beezer or he was brought in to help find Steve Beezer's replacement. And it turned out to be uh, B, option B in, the, in those two. Yeah, I mean, seven years is a good amount of time uh, to, to show kind of what you can do with the resources in hand. Um, I think Steve Beezer was close, but didn't get as far as the new administration wanted to see. They also have to do some self-reflection on if they gave him enough. And I can understand if you decide, okay, there need to be some changes, but those changes preferring to want to make them with someone that this administration went out and saw as their guy. Um, we've right. seen we've seen Desiree's willingness to make changes. Um, Conzo to Dennis Gates, now a baseball change, a volleyball change. We'll see if there could be a potential football change. And it's very clear that Robin Pinchon in women's basketball is is on the hot seat. I mean, that's I mean, when you come out and say like this year is make or break it, uh, everybody knows where things stand. And that's probably impacting some of the transfers we're seeing on that team as well. Um, but it's a transition time. So they've got to look at all the things they need to do around the coach in baseball if they want to be legitimate in the SEC. I said it when Desiree came on board, I wrote a column, you know, the things she's got to do right away. And one of them was like figuring out what baseball means to Mizzou. Is it right. going to be a throwaway sport or is it going to be something they care about? Because if they care about it, they're far behind proving that in terms of what they invest in it and also the results they get out of it. A lot of SEC programs, baseball is more important to them than basketball. And some of the basketball ones have ticked up. You know, I think the SEC has done a good job of, of building its basketball brand over the years, but Tied for first, tied for second behind football is where a lot of baseball programs are in the SEC, and Mizzou's just not been there. So finding the right coach could be what helps them get there, but it's going to take other things going on. Sometimes having the right coach and, and other things start to happen too. 
think we've seen that with Dennis Gates so far in basketball. So I'm hesitant to say this was a mistake because I want to see what they what they do and who they hire and right. what kind of momentum can come with that. Beezer's goal now will be to say, hey, if I get to the right place, the right resources, look what I look what I can do. So that's going to be an interesting thing to compare. You mentioned Vitello. How much, and this is not Steve Beezer's fault at all. It's not Steve Beezer's fault that Mizzou didn't hire Tony Vitello. You know, right. he got the job, they had their chance, they didn't. You know, I think there's some sort of a little bit of retroactive history going on where Vitello was like known to be this great coach in the making and Mizzou passed on him. That wasn't the case. But what he's done at Tennessee, being a Mizzou guy, being a St. Louis guy, I do think that was kind of unfairly hanging over Beezer and there was not much he was ever going to be able to do about that. So right. not that that's why they did it. I do think there was an element probably of that. I was like, as long as he was there and Vitello was crushing it at Tennessee, then there was going to be that element of like, they could have hired, they could have hired that guy. Right. Right. That's, it's kind of like Bill Self and Quinn Snyder, Quinn right. Snyder has more initial success at Missouri than, than Steve Beezer did. Uh, and you know what? I also think, and I've, I've talked to Tony about this, about how that interview went and what went down I think if, I think he would have loved to have had the Missouri job. I think he's grateful that it happened the way it did because I think it made him a better coach and it made him a better candidate for the Tennessee job a year later. So, yeah. and that's that's history at this point. Tony Vitello is not walking through. He ain't walking door. through that door. But there are some there are some pretty intriguing names out there, and I wrote some this week, and I have no idea if, if Desiree and Blair DeBoer are really going to consider them. But Rob Vaughn is a guy at Maryland, thirty five years old. All he's done is win back to back Big Ten championships at at Maryland, and Guess what? When he was uh, when when Blair DeBoer was the All Big Twelve catcher at Kansas State, guess who was a coach on that staff? Rob Vaughn was. So there's a connection there. Uh, he's a hot name. You know, Georgia has an opening. Alabama has an opening. I believe Penn State has an opening. Um, so there could be some competition for him. Matt Hobbs is I called him kind of Vitello 2.0. He was Missouri's pitching coach. He was a pitcher at Missouri back in the Tim Jamison years. Since then, he's gone on and, and become a pretty successful pitching coach at Wake Forest. Now he's at Arkansas. Arkansas is one of the best teams in not just the SEC, but the country. Guess where they recruit really well? St. Louis. They've got two of the best players in the state, both from St. Louis, committed for next year, signed for next year. And he's done an awesome job producing MLB draft prospects year after year at Arkansas. Uh, again, another guy who's going to be a Power 5 head coach you know, sooner than later. Uh, there's, you know, a handful of other names, Carrick Jackson, who's the guy that Blair DeBoard hired at Memphis, another former Missouri assistant coach who's done a nice job at Memphis in his first year, their best season in five seasons, I think. Guess who his pitching coach is? Tim Jamison, former Missouri head coach, who just happened to be voted into the Mizzou Athletics Hall of Fame last week. Uh, he'll be inducted later this fall. How does that work? You get fired at Missouri and then seven years later, you get inducted into their Hall of Fame. Pretty sweet. Guess uh, good news for Conzo in about in about two years. <laughs> oh man, Dave. <laughs> he would. Uh, but anyway, we'll, I don't we'll see how that all unfolds. I don't think no. he's expecting it, but uh, yeah, great names. Um, the Maryland one is fascinating. It even makes you wonder if if they kind of have a sense of where this could go at the time sure. they make that decision. Right? We'll see. Um, a couple. Everybody likes to go to the former MLB managers in the speculation chamber, like. Mike Matheny doesn't have a job. Um, I think Mike Matheny would be a good college coach if he wanted to go that route. Mike Schilt, who knows uh, a lot about building things and fundamental play and, and has done a lot in baseball, is kind of hanging out with the Padres, wondering what's next for him. I don't even know if he would want to go the college route, but um, always interesting to throw those names out there. Jace Tingler. 
Jace Tingler would be maybe be the most most interesting of those. Uh, I don't know what what what's he up to these days. He's still in Major League Baseball as a as a pitching coach or consultant. And I, you know, those guys also have pensions at stake. And and yeah, they, if they stick around long enough, they can keep making more money. And yeah. I also, you know, sometimes if you're a former Mizzou guy and you know you've seen maybe the ceiling of the program, uh, and you know what's at stake in the SEC, you're like, gosh. I'd love to go back to the alma mater, but that, that job is hard. I don't know if, if yeah, I could take it for five years, but after that, maybe I'm the next Steve Beezer. So I think sometimes I think we just gravitate to former Mizzou guys. And yeah. I don't think that's necessarily, that's not Desiree's play. If it was, we'd be talking about head basketball coach Kim English, maybe. Yeah, you, you nailed it. And I was going to, I was going to mention that. And I think that the natural kind of Mizzou uh, lens reactions to go we'll just go to Max Scherzer and ask him who they should hire and it's like Desiree's not going to do that she she's not going to hand over her hire to someone who loves Mizzou just because they are a future Hall of Famer I will say this I think making some of those prominent folks who helped Mizzou baseball be at its best when it was at its best involved in the process might not be a bad thing and there's a difference there's a difference between going to Max Scherzer and saying We'll hire whoever you tell us to hire. Not going to happen. But you can include their perspectives, make them feel involved in the process. When we're talking about a program that desperately needs more reach in terms of NIL money and facilities, getting some of the more prominent alums who have earned a whole lot of money uh, playing Major League Baseball because of the, you know, the platform Mizzou helped them build wouldn't be the worst idea. And it doesn't mean you have to simply say, hey, who do we hire? But making them feel involved with the process, they have advice, they have thoughts on some of these names. They have teammates who probably played for some of these names. They have networks that would be valuable to tap into for their advice. Making them feel involved would not be would not be the worst thing in the world. So hopefully Mizzou can use this search as kind of an opportunity to maybe yeah. some of those relationships you still got to make the hire you think is best and you can't let other people influence it, but having some of those talks might be a good thing to do. And to, and to Beezer's credit, he, he made a lot of inroads with Max Scherzer. Uh, it helped. And, and also I'm um, credit Jim Sterk. I mean, he, he approved Missouri to uh, scramble their criteria for number of retirements several years ago with part of that incentive was to get Max Scherzer back on campus to retire his Jersey. And they did. And that I think helped, kind of because he was a Vitello guy there's no there's no doubt about that he's a Jameson guy but that I think allowed that relationship to start building with with Steve Beezer in the baseball program and I wrote this a couple weeks ago Max on a day he was set to start for the Mets held a zoom with the Mizzou staff uh, and to talk about the program and to talk about things he can do to help I mean that shows a commitment from him uh, and he would come back and visit with the staff Kyle Gibson has been great to the program over the years Ian Kinsler has gotten involved so Steve was starting to do those things and had been doing those things. Unfortunately, he just didn't win enough games. So we'll see which way that goes and if it gets wrapped up soon or if it if it lingers on. And which kind of leaves us one last name to to get into today. We had so many so many guys we needed to discuss today, and uh, the news that Kobe Brown is sticking in the NBA draft and uh, what that means for Mizzou. I don't know that we need to dwell on this for too long. I, I think we did a good job of laying out what Kobe had to do here. He was one of the oldest players in his class. And with the feedback and the workouts that he had, it sounds like he was told, hey, your best shot is now. Could be second round, but you get the right team. It could, it could lead to a role. Nothing really surprising here. 
And also, you know, once and for all, it squashes the speculation that maybe if he would have returned to college, he would have been open to transferring somewhere else, which really I think would have, well, it would have really dented his Mizzou legacy. And now that gets to go intact. Yeah. He gets to go out as one of the one of the most beloved players Mizzou's had in a long time. Guy who stuck it out through different coaches, a guy who got better every single year, a real throwback in college basketball. And I think, I think, you know, look, I don't know if Kobe Brown will one day be playing in the NBA finals, but I would put his legacy as a Mizzou basketball uh, beloved player up against Michael Porter Jr.'s any day. And that's not a shot at NBA, oh, yeah. but Kobe, Kobe was a throwback guy who stuck it out, paid his dues, got better every year, and and didn't waver ever. Right. I think we can say this, and I think he had the best career, four-year career, definitely. I think you could say he's the best Mizzou player in the SEC era. You know, Now, they had Jordan Clarkson for a year. They had Michael uh, Porter for 53 minutes. Those guys uh, weren't their best at Mizzou. No, they weren't. They weren't. And Jonte had a nice year, and you had Jeremiah Tillman had a nice run. Drew Smith had a nice run. But I think when you – have a season or a career like Kobe that culminated the way it did with the 25 win season and the first SEC tournament win and how big he was in big games. He became a beloved player who's, I think maybe more going to be more fondly remembered for what he meant than, than who he was. I mean, is he one of the 20 best players of all time? I, I don't know about that. Certainly not in the top 10. He's not going to have a Jersey retired. I, I don't believe that. Like he, he what, what his contributions weren't the same as a, Stepanovich, a Chivas, a Peel, or a Doug Smith, but he was the best player in an era where there hasn't been a lot to get excited about, and I think he made helped make Missouri fans care again, and for the first time in a, in a while, I think Missouri fans are going to be invested in the NBA draft to see where he goes. Now, I'm sure they paid attention, you know, five years ago when MPJ was drafted, but they, they weren't committed to uh, him and his story like they probably are with Kobe because he gave four years. Oddly enough, and I mentioned this in my story, He's going to be, assuming he gets drafted, he's going to be the first four-year Missouri player drafted in over a decade since 2012 when Denman and English were drafted. That's it's Now, they've had players drafted since then, Clarkson and, and, and Alex Oriaki and Porter, but but not four-year players. So that says something about what this program has been over the last decade. Yeah, it's good you mentioned Kimmy and Marcus because I'd put, it, I'd put Kobe in that group of guys yeah. who, who are, are more beloved by Mizzou fans because of what they endured and what they stuck at Mizzou through. You know, Kim English is reconciled by winning is one of the, one of the best quotes in Mizzou sports history. Kobe's turning of the page, um, his, his, you know, you look at the team records and what he, what he went through and, and it never, in an era where it's never been easier to say the grass is greener, I'm out, see you later. He stayed true and stuck around and, and show that you can still benefit from that. He's not getting drafted wherever he gets drafted in this draft if he did not stay and play under Dennis Gates and show the world that he can shoot threes. And that really probably gave Dennis Gates one of his best recruiting tools is to show what he unlocked in Kobe in the first year of his system. So good luck to Kobe. I'm glad that he's he's not certainly going to play somewhere else for than Mizzou. I think it would have been great for Mizzou fans to have him back, but I think we all knew with his age and with the way the NBA works that you got to strike while the iron is hot and his may never be hotter than it is right now. And when we'll see if some team sees a role for him and might see that in how he gets drafted and what he found out in those workouts. Dave, you are running down and you have com compiled the biggest Mizzou sports stories of the year. It's at stltoday.com. Folks go and check it out. And we'll have coverage, of course, of everything, the baseball, coaching search, 
where Kobe goes in the draft, what's going on with this conference scheduling and football, all kinds of other stuff coming at stltoday.com. Anything else before we run here? Yeah, I want to mention uh, we have a new campus correspondent for next year. We announced that this week. Eli Hoff is going to be start working for us in August. Uh, next in line to follow, step in the big shoes of all the really great student reporters we've had. Uh, you know, Callum McAndrew, who Mizzou fans should know by now, has done an outstanding job. And he's not done yet. He might still have a few stories here this summer. But Eli is going to step into that role in August. Really excited working with him. He is an incredible news reporter. He's been a really good investigative reporter here in Columbia. Uh, he's covered politics. He's covered higher education. He's done sports. Very, very versatile. He actually just got his undergraduate degree from the School of Journalism a couple of weeks ago, and he actually gave one of the speeches at the graduation ceremony. So he's a guy that's highly respected in the J School. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that he's going to be working with us, helping cover football and basketball and, and everything else. And uh, really talented young guy. Eli versus Eli coming about to, that. Uh, coming to today.com in the post dispatch this fall. Congratulations to Eli and be sure to give him a follow on social media and look for his byline at STL today and in the pages of the post dispatch. Dave, good stuff, man. You got a chat to do. We'll let you run and we will talk to you guys next time on the next I'm a Tigers podcast here at the post dispatch. For Dave, I'm Ben. Have a good week, everybody. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.